Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. Happy uh, first Sunday of Advent. Um, it's exciting to be able to uh, share with you this morning on that this first Sunday and to, um, yeah, kick off this holiday season. It's, um, yeah, exciting time. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving and there's not much time in between Thanksgiving and and Advent this year, we just went right into it. So, um, as you can see up on the screen, our uh, theme is when heaven meets earth, and uh, we're going to be looking at scripture this morning that begins to tell that story of when heaven began to meet earth, and it's um, it's a part of the scripture that we see the culmination of the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament prophecies coming to fulfillment through the announcement of the Messiah. So not only is this culmination of signs significant because it's the fulfillment of the Messiah, but it's also important because it is a moment in time when God begins communicating with his people again. You heard uh, the reading by Deidre, you know, about how it is this, this exciting moment when God all of a sudden starts speaking, and they, they reference it to, to the barren woman who gets the news that she's having a child. And just that excitement and that joy that comes with it and scripture starts with that same, um, same feeling, that same emotion. Now we have to remember that when the Old Testament ended with Malachi to when the New Testament picks up, there's a 400 years of silence. And that's a long time. So to help understand 400 years... Put it in a little bit of context. So 400 years ago, it was 1611. 1611 is um, towards the end of the 30, 30 years war in Europe. King James was king of Europe at the time. The United States had not even been founded or established. And it was only four years before 1611 and 1607 that the settlement of Jamestown, Virginia was established. And that was the second settlement. So we, even a little bit before that was uh, the settlement of Roanoke, but that didn't survive. And Jamestown is the first real settlement of the, of the Americas. And so that's a really long time ago. I mean, think about it. In 400 years, we have gone from living off the land, trading with the natives, to sitting on our couches, being able to order groceries from our smartphone, and, you know, just with the click of a button. So a lot happens in 400 years. Now imagine that in 400 years, that time frame, that you don't hear from God. Right? Just the time alone is significant. But if we think about communication with God, there was no communication with God for 400 years. It's a long time to be yearning and waiting. So, just because... Like Josh said, I'm a counselor, and um, one of the things that they do in our training is they train us to be comfortable with silence, um, because we like to let people think and feel uncomfortable, and then, you know, have you ever been in a moment of silence with somebody, if you just sit there and you just stare at them, they feel like they all of a sudden have to confess everything? Well, that's kind of the idea. So, this morning, I'd like us to just sit in silence. Please don't confess anything. I don't want to know. I'm not, I'm not a counselor this morning. And just take a minute, because to really capture what it, what it felt like 
to be in sound. So naturally, because it's 400 years later, I have my smartphone, and I will be timing a minute, so, you know, we have a, a good sense of, of what that's like. So just take one minute and just reflect on the silence. Okay, so that was one minute. When you actually take a minute, it goes pretty slow, huh? Now imagine that one minute for 400 years. It's a long time. And yet, the priests still went into the temple and they offered sacrifice after sacrifice. They still continued to follow the traditions hoping, yearning for God to speak. Malachi, like I said, is the end of the Old Testament. And uh, Malachi 4, 5 and 6 says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And so the end of the Old Testament is this this promise that he is going to send somebody. He's going to send the prophet Elijah to come before the day of the Lord. And so they have this expectation at the end of the Old Testament, and yet they wait 400 years for God to send his messenger. When we wait, two things can happen. We can become discouraged very easily. And we can give up and we can walk away. And probably many people in that time did. Just figured they gave up, right? He's not coming. We haven't heard from him at all. I'm moving on. I'm going to try some, you know, I'm going to try this nation's God, see how they work out. But there were some that created just the opposite desire, right? Creates a deeper yearning. Because the more that we can't have something that we want, the more that we're anticipating someone's arrival, the greater the desire becomes in our spirit. And so the yearning, for those, especially the priests, who would go in every day and offer sacrifice, had to be huge. Their prayers solely focused on this fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. 
And we finally, we finally arrive with Luke chapter 1. And verse, I'm going to pick up with verse 5 and read through 17. This is a paramount moment when God breaks the silence and begins to speak. So as a tradition of, of uh, Parker Ford, if you wouldn't mind standing as we read, and we read Luke 1, 5 through 17. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. So it begins with Zechariah, a priest chosen by Lot to enter into the temple to burn incense to the Lord. And when the angel of the Lord appears to him, I can understand his fear. There hadn't been anything like this for 400 years. And here he is, standing in the presence of an angel of the Lord. I think I would be a little afraid too. And, the innate, and then the angel announces a birth. Now if you're Zechariah, this means two things. One, it means that he's having a kid. Pretty exciting. But two, it also means that the, the prophecies of Malachi, the scriptures of the Old Testament, are beginning to come true. Because as a priest, he understands. You know, he is one of the priests in there praying for these signs to come true, to come to fruition in his time. And all of a sudden it happens. An angel says, you're going to have a son. And this son is going to prepare the way for the Lord, the Messiah. So, there's great joy, mixed with fear, obviously. And he responds later on. If you kept reading, you would see he responds with, with this question. And as a result of questioning, he ends up losing the ability to speak. And so for the whole nine months that he's waiting for his son to be born, he can't speak. And you see this then. Um, the angel says that this will be 
he will be able to speak again when the, um, the message of the angel comes to fruition. And so at the birth, he gets to then speak again and, and rejoice. And we'll, we'll get to that point as well. Not only does this announcement announce a son, but it also brings about reconciliation in his relationship with his wife. Because she's barren. She has been praying for a child. She has been wanting a son and has been unable to do that. And so disgrace and embarrassment falls upon her as a result. And with this announcement, it's removed. She is now able to fulfill that role as, as she has it as a woman in that, in that society to give birth to a son. And it allows her to have a status within her community that, that puts her on par with other women with children. It's a healing that happened in her life. So the angel goes on to describe this son, right? Who we know as John the Baptist. And it gives characteristics of who John the Baptist is. And we're going to focus on those characteristics this morning because I think they're really important for us to understand how we are called to live in a time of waiting as well. The first one picks up in verse 14, and it says that he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. We shared about the great joy and delight that it came to Zechariah and Elizabeth because of her being barren. But it also was a joy and a delight because of the message of the Savior. John the Baptist is a great figure, right? But he's not the one. We see in Scripture throughout the rest of the four Gospels that everyone says, well, John, are you the Messiah? No, I'm the one who comes before. Because part of John's purpose is to point to the Messiah, to identify the one who is to come. The third one is that there's joy to those who accept his message. When we think of repentance, I think we often think in terms of sadness or discouragement because we are recognizing that we're not our own savior and there's some remorse in that but there's also joy in that there's also joy in saying i'm a sinner and i need you because there's actually someone that we can go to who can redeem us so there's a joy and delight in this message because here they are offering these sacrifices and they know that a greater sacrifice is to come and he says if you listen to my message of repentance, if you, if you recognize that you are sinful and that you just need to ask for forgiveness and you will be forgiven, then there's joy because there's now a way to enter into a deeper, closer relationship with God. Verse 15 goes on and says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. So we see that he is, from the very beginning, Zechariah is informed that your son is going to be set apart for a greater purpose. Your son has a role to play, and as a result, he needs to live a life that is holy and righteous before the Lord. And so from the beginning, he's set apart. He is also to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. We see this later on in chapter 1 when 
after Mary has been um, informed that she has been chosen to be the mother of the Savior, she goes and visits Elizabeth. And when she goes and visits Elizabeth, in verse 41, it says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Even in the womb, he leaps with joy. The Spirit overcomes this this little baby being created in her womb and communicates to Elizabeth that Mary is pregnant and Mary is going to give birth to your Savior. So even, even in the womb, John is fulfilling his purpose of directing us to the Savior, pointing us to the Messiah. In the same way that John was set apart, because of the Holy Spirit's work in his life, we too are called to be set apart. We might not have such an honor as John did to, to point to the Messiah, but as followers and believers of Jesus Christ, we do have a responsibility to point others to the Messiah, just like John did. Now he, to be set apart, chose to live in the desert, eat locusts and wild honey, dress a little funny. And when we think about it that way, it doesn't really sound that appealing. I don't really want to be set apart if it means that i got to eat locusts and whatever else to live off the land, you know? And to look at it that way, we could probably create a pretty good reason why we don't want to be set apart, why we might not want to live this aspect of the Christian life. Because it might look a little funny. It might look a little weird. But part of following Christ means that we need to be distinguished differently from others. Not so that we can be unique or puff up our own ego, but so that our lives doesn't honor ourselves or something else, but it gives glory and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. John didn't go live in the desert because he wanted to avoid people and he wanted to ignore them and, and he thought he was better than everybody else because he's a naturalist living on the land. No, he, he went away so that he could really understand his role. He could really be in tune with what God's calling was upon his life so that he could fulfill the purpose that God had for him. So that he could actually point others to the Messiah, that he could identify him because he knew the word, he knew scripture, he knew who he was looking for. In that same way, we're called to know the Messiah, to have an intimate relationship with him, so that way, when we do interact with others, we can help them know that it's Christ, it's the Messiah working through us that allows us to, to go through trials and survive, to be faced with temptations and overcome them. Because it's, it's his spirit working in our lives. Verse 16 continues to identify characteristics of John. It says, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. What a great honor for John. He's not the Messiah, but he is, he is sharing 
the messianic message with the people. He's informing them that, look, salvation comes through the forgiveness of sins. And because he was willing to share that message, many people came to faith. Many people began to recognize Jesus when his ministry began. Many people began to believe. And many people who were following John, when they got into their ministries, left John and began to follow Jesus because he pointed to someone greater. He had a role, and he fulfilled it. Just like we, as as followers of Jesus Christ, have the opportunity to share this message, salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Alpha, if you're a part of that course that has been going on Tuesday nights, um, spent one night about how do we share with others. And um, our small group discussed it and um, really decided that it's, it's challenging at times to be open about the gospel. And a lot of times we, we find that it, it comes across not always the best. You know, we might have good intentions, but we tend not to um, um, share that. I could think of an experience in my, um, my own life where, you're, you know, I was talking faith with someone. And you try and be funny, and it just isn't good. And... Um, it's just bad all around. And, and I was in high school, so I was young, naive, and I'd like to not say this, but, um, you know, I was talking with a friend, and she's like, yeah, I don't know what I think about God. You know, I'm not, I'm not really into him. And I'm like, well, you know, I hope you like hot places, because if you don't know God, yeah, that didn't go over so well. And so, you know, Try to be humorous is not really funny, you know? But we sometimes present this kind of like us-them mentality. But that's not, that's not the gospel. That's not the message. It's salvation through the forgiveness of sins. I don't need to convict someone else of their sins. That's the role of the Spirit. But I need to share with people that there is a Messiah who was born so that they can be forgiven. John had this great opportunity to share that message even before Christ gave his life. Verse 17 continues, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Old Testament talks about Elijah. And sometimes I think we can get confused and we think that Elijah needs to return. But here we read that it's in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And that's exactly what John comes with. He comes with the same spirit as Elijah. He comes with the same influence and power that Elijah had. He's able to to present a message of repentance and persuade and influence people to accept and believe the truth that he shares. As a result, he's able to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. We talk a lot about the relationship of up, right? The relationship that we have with the Father. We talk about the relationship that's in our hearts, the Spirit, relationship with the Spirit. And we talk about our relationship that goes out. The message comes from the Father. And so if we believe the message, then we have that up-down connection. And when we accept that message, the Spirit begins to live in our hearts and reside in our being. And so the in is nurtured. And the out is expressed. The, The healing of relationships between fathers and their children is so important because it's the expression of the spirit's work in our own lives to heal our own hearts and so we can see this in in families that john the baptist baptized we can we can see this in the relationship of of the jewish people to their their religious culture jews to rabbis that god wanted to restore those relationships we know throughout the rest of the Gospels, that Jesus' ministry is not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And so here, the Jews are, are put in this, this uh, position of being, being earthly spiritual fathers to the Gentiles. And God's message is not only for them, but it's a message that wants to heal the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so this message transcends any kind of boundary or any kind of rules that we have set up in religious structure And breaks all those barriers. Because it's not just a message for the Jews. It's a message for everybody. It's not just a message for that person because they're a sinner. It's a message for me because I'm a sinner too. And his birth that comes brings about healing. It brings about reconciliation within families. The holidays seem to be a time too. When these relationships with others come out. I know even in, within my own family, planning uh, my mom's side of the family holiday event is a big to-do because it's like, okay, who's mad at who? How can we get this person to come because they're mad at this person, but we want everybody there. And, and all of a sudden, we're like making all these concessions so that we can have some sense of family. And by the end, you're just like, what's, what's it all for, you know? We just read... That there's supposed to be joy and delight in the announcement of the birth of our Savior. And here we are running around trying to please everybody. It's not a very pleasurable experience, right? Some of you might have relationships that you can identify as well. That you could think of where the holidays, yeah, it's great. We go to these family parties. We go to these friends' parties. But we're not talking to that person because we're not on good terms right now. puts a damper on that joy that you could have in that moment. It puts a damper on the the delight of socializing with friends and with family. And the gospel message is a message that wants to heal that relationship. The Spirit wants to unite you with that person, bring reconciliation in that setting. Because there's it's, it's a joyous occasion. 
the story of, of the, uh, the prodigal son who runs away and returns. How does the father respond? He doesn't chastise his son for, for going out and doing crazy stuff. No, he rejoices that his son is alive and has come home. There's joy in working through broken relationships. There's delight in being able to engage in that relationship again. And the message of the gospel is a message that encourages us and wants us to have that joy and that delight. So as we continue in this time of Advent, We can look at the scriptures and we can read the text. We can look at Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. And we can see that what was prophesied about the gospel message coming to the people and restoring relationship comes true in the birth of Jesus Christ. We can see in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 where it says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me comes true in the birth of John the Baptist. And we can see his birth to a woman who was once barren being the fulfillment of God's promise to his people. The message is here. The New Testament, the Gospels, records the moment when heaven began to meet earth. And that's where we get to live. We get to live in a world where heaven consistently engages earth. The Lord sent his son. And what a beautiful, beautiful gift. That has been. And he gives us the promise to hold on to that. He's coming back. And we need to live a life. Like John. Preparing our hearts. Preparing our family. Preparing our friends. For his return. So that we can experience the joy. And the delight. That it is. To have a Savior who saves. Would you pray with me?